Welcome to At The Table, the podcast for the SBC Women's Leadership Network. Join the conversations of a collaborative community of women from the Southern Baptist Convention family who long to connect, engage, and encourage one another as they serve and lead in diverse ways to impact the kingdom of God. Pull up a chair, grab your favorite drink, and listen in on what God is doing through women of the SBC. everybody and welcome to another episode of At The Table. My name is Jackie King and it's another week of getting to talk women and leadership in the SVC. I have a special treat today of an old friend um, back from, geez, it might even be over a decade now that we got to connect. I get to have Mary Jo Sharp on the show today. Mary Jo, thank you for joining us. Hey Jackie, it's good to be here. I don't even want to think back to how many years it was <laughs> that you and I were serving together, um, but surely not that long ago, right? <laughs> we were a bit younger. <laughs> we were a bit younger. Um, different hairstyle for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you and I got to be connected back in Texas for the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention, the women's team there. Um, we both got to do some speaking and training and planning and all of those things together. And so I'm just really excited, one, to connect back with you. You just recently had to move back up to Portland from Texas. So how is that going? <laughs> it's going well. It's interesting. We, uh, we are doing a church revitalization up here. So it's wonderful to be back home, and we're really hoping we can, you know, do some good up here. Yeah, so excited just to see all that God is doing. So let's start just kind of from the beginning, um, because you have a really cool and just interesting story of the Lord working in your life. So why don't we start kind of back in the beginning, growing up, a little bit about you, where are you from, obviously, um, <laughs> and some of those fun little details. Yeah, um, so like I said, we've moved back to where I'm from. So I'm from Portland, Oregon, and, uh, you know, Specifically, that's important because I the culture of the Portland area has been very non-religious or post-Christian for some time. Like, I actually found an article recently that was back in, it was from the 50s, talking about the non-religious participation of the state of Oregon. So, it's, oh, okay. yeah, it's been <laughs> quite some time. And, uh, They're so, consistent, at least. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So that, that sort of, you know, like the setting that I grew up in, and I also grew up outside of church. So my mm -hmm. parents had stopped going to church when I was very little. In fact, I don't really have memories. Um, I have some, some like sort of flashbacks of something or other, but I don't really have any memories of church. So um, I was raised outside of church, and what I, what I was raised around, though, was a, a bunch of natural beauty because uh, the Pacific Northwest is absolutely gorgeous. And uh, I was raised with a father who loved nature and science shows. Um, and so he and he loved going outdoors. So he taught me a, a, an appreciation for the beauty of not just nature, but like what mankind could do in the sciences as well. And mm. uh, my parents were very much into the arts and I was a musician. I play saxophone. And uh, so I, I grew to have this appreciation for the beauty of what mankind can do also through music and the other arts and um, one of the things you know that I think that was one of the things that really spoke to me that uh, as I'm watching these science shows and I'm learning that basically I'm just a, like a speck of dust on a pale blue dot in a far-off corner of a vast and different universe I'm starting to think well that that really doesn't jive with the experience that I'm having of all of this beauty and what is this all for? So as I'm becoming an older teenager, I'm starting to think, you know, why do I matter? Why do I think my life has meaning and purpose? And those mm -hmm. sorts of things are, you know, it wasn't formed very well because I was still like an older teenager, but I'm starting to have these thoughts. And at that point in my life, 
my uh, band director, so my music teacher in high school, he is a Christian who hasn't shared his faith with any with anybody, and he's very burdened for me. And so he, um, my senior year of high school, he actually took a risk to share his faith with me, and he gave me a Bible. And so when you go off to college, you're gonna have hard questions. I hope you'll turn to this. Uh, so you know, I really respected him, and he hit me at the time when I'm having these questions. So I actually began to read that Bible, and it what it did was it, it so it for me it like I found the source of all of that beauty. I found the intelligence mm -hmm. that was behind all of this that I was seeing in the world. And, it, and the Bible really made sense of my experience. And so when I went off to college, I actually went to church on my own for the first time. So I'm like doing the total opposite, right, of the cultural statistic, <laughs> which is that kids go off and lose yeah. their faith. I go off looking for who is God and, you know, what is this all about with Jesus. And eventually I'm invited to a church in my college town where I hear a clear presentation of the gospel. And at that point, things make sense to me and I trust in, in Jesus as my savior. Mm, so cool. Okay. Now where did you go to college? Oh no, you're actually going to ask me. This. I am going to ask you this. Yes. Mm -hmm. I am. I'm an alumni of the university of Oklahoma. <laughs> Okay, so God is still working in Sooners. <laughs> yes, okay, just had to throw, no, I love that though, um, because, I mean, obviously there's this radical shift in your life, not only in just proximity, right, like going from Portland to even kind of coming down to Oklahoma, the Bible Belt, and then getting into church, I mean, that's such, especially young adult years, you know, I mean, those are such formidable years, and so it's really cool just to see, even in your story, of just the intentionality of that relationship of that band director, you know, and and band was a big part of your life up until, um, you know, several years ago, whenever you kind of shifted into um, the apologetic field and, and stuff like that. So it's really neat just to hear that relationship and that intentionality that he took with you and how the Lord just used that to change your heart. So I love that. Okay, so why don't you tell us a little bit about, kind of fast forward. Um, so you went to school, met Roger, right, your husband, and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> became a minister's wife. How did that happen? <laughs> Jackie, how did that happen? I know. <laughs> that was not the plan. <laughs> never the plan. It's never the plan. So. Yeah. yeah, our plan, this is funny, nobody else has brought this out. Um, our plan was that he was, we both got undergrads in music education, so our plan was he was going to be like a high school or middle school band director and I was going to teach middle school with them and you know maybe I would do elementary school as well I found out by the way through that that endeavor that I don't teach little kids <laughs> <laughs> I'm great middle school and up but not little ones um but yeah so I met him in that um I actually met Roger in the marching band at University of Oklahoma and uh we uh yeah, so he, he was the one, like I, he, the first date we went out on, I knew that he was going to be the one for me uh, mm -hmm. because he was super nerdy and nervous and tried to impress me with something that really wasn't impressive. <laughs> he, he, I, just so that the you know, listeners can understand, he wrote on three napkins at an ice cream store. He wrote this, that, and there. And then he proceeded to do this whole thing of, hey, what if I put this over that? What if I put that over there? And then, <laughs> this whole routine and I'm like looking at him like I'm gonna marry this guy and uh, yeah so uh yeah I get together with him but at the time I got together with him I was not a Christian 
Uh, and he was, he was a, he'd say he was a backslidden Christian, uh, and he, he was looking for something different than what he grew up with. And, uh, mm-hmm. so he found me and yeah, we get, we got together, we got married very young and, um, we had a baby while I was still in college. And then we end up going to the church where I heard that like presentation, that clear presentation of the gospel. And uh, <laughs> so we get, we, we, go to this church we get involved and we while we're there early on um like within a year their youth minister actually just up and leaves he gives a two weeks notice and mm-hmm. so we decided that we would fill in since we were getting education degrees and this is what we wanted to do was to teach and so from that point from that little sneaky hey we'll fill in uh it, we became involved with ministry and roger felt a call into ministry uh, and gave his life over to that. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, did I? <laughs> this did was I, not the plan. <laughs> did I plan for this to happen? Yeah, my plan was, that was way off from the plan. Uh, so yeah, that's how we got into ministry. Very cool. Okay, so I want to um, kind of transition a little bit just into, um, you know, you're a band director, right? Fast forward a little bit, you're becoming mm-hmm. a band director, you're a minister's wife, and then you start to kind of do the shift and decide to go into graduate studies, apologetics, like that entire field. So talk to me a little bit about what that shift in your life looked like. Like, why did you start to pursue the field of apologetics? And, um, and then even more, so being a woman in that field, I would imagine is a pretty scarce thing. Um, so let's talk a little bit about just what that shift in your life looked like and even what your experience was kind of as you started to get more and more familiar with it. Okay. Yeah. So the shift came from, it wasn't, unfortunately it wasn't a real happy, um, story in that what, as I got involved with ministry, I started to see what I would call real ugliness in the church. Mm-hmm. I started to see that the um, Christians who professed that the Bible is God's word, they weren't really holding themselves accountable to it. Um, and not like one-off situations where somebody was just having a bad day, but it was like a pattern where people seemed to not really care Uh, the theological term would be about the sanctification process. Hmm. So um, weren't really trying to conform their lives to what they were being taught by Jesus or Paul or, you know, the scriptures. So I started to wonder, like, after numerous incidents, um, which I have explained in this upcoming book that I have, but after numerous incidents in the church and then just seeing, observing a pattern, I started to think, these I'm not sure that the people I've surrounded myself with actually believe that the Bible is true. And mm. and then as I'm saying that, I start to reflect back on myself and say, well, why do I believe that God exists? Why do I believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And and I realized I had this real deficiency of answers, like I couldn't answer any of those things. Um, so I began to say, wow, I need to investigate why I think these things are true. Um, because it, was, it started out of that sort of emotional doubt from what I was seeing in the church um, and the painful and hurtful experiences of specifically of being in ministry. Mm-hmm. And then it, it turned into that sort of intellectual questioning. And I do believe there was a time at which I, I wanted out. Like I wanted a way out of the church. And one of the ways out would be to disprove it. <laughs> I was hmm. just going to say like, yeah, this isn't it this is wrong. And that would have been very painful for me because I would have been embarrassed that I had, you know, been duped or something like that. But so I think there was a desire in there to prove that it was wrong, but it was also mixed up 
with other desires um, going on there. Like, you know, my husband was a minister and I didn't really want him to lose his job. So right, very right. messy time of searching through for answers. Uh, uh, you know, so that was the shift. The shift came when I went looking for answers to my questions. And that got me into this field of apologetics, which at the time I didn't think was a field or I didn't know it was a field. I didn't even know the word apologetics. And uh, I just started looking for answers. So um, that sort of got me involved. I ended up finding a degree in apologetics while I was doing all this like searching for answers, I ended up finding this degree at Biola University. <laughs> I was like, mm -hmm. wow, this is all the stuff I'm, I'm looking, you know, I'm searching for. Um, um, these are the answers and these are the questions that I'm uh, engaged in. So I, uh, I ended up going to Biola and uh, getting a degree in apologetics and through an assignment there to either write a blog or to have a private conversation with someone on defending the resurrection, through that whole <laughs> assignment, I ended up putting up a blog called Confident Christianity yeah. and uh, Defending the Resurrection. That's what really got me into ministry in this way, in, into apologetics. Okay. And so since then, I mean, um, I think that's when I met you, actually, you were almost done at Biola, um, cause we were talking about education and what we were doing there. And so, um, since then you have written a Bible study, um, for Lifeway, it's at Lifeway. Um, you have gone around speaking, um, and oftentimes you're one of the only female speakers, um, on this panel of men, right? Yeah. Um, so what are the things that you've seen as you have kind of ministered and really challenged women to know their Bibles, to know their theology, what are some of the things that you've kind of seen that we're lacking in? And maybe even, um, maybe some of the misnomers of why women aren't stepping into some of this more heavy lifting of theology. Yeah, I think, I think I'll start with that. Why are like the misnomers? Why aren't women getting in there? I, you know, women, a long time, for a while, <laughs> I don't know how long, but I, I have the sense that women have been told that that's not their area, like they're not interested in those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And what I found that's absolutely untrue. Women are very interested in what they believe and why they believe it. Um, and as the culture gets more and more away from their Judeo-Christian uh, traditions, then and, and becomes a little bit more hostile towards people who profess Jesus specifically, uh, I think women are starting to feel that pressure of, you know, I, I really got to be able to defend this. I've, I've got to be able to help my kids know what they believe and why they believe it because they're being told from every angle that Christianity is not true and that it's, uns you know, it, it's against science and all sorts of stuff. So I think as w women now, where in the past, maybe they were told that these aren't, this isn't your field, this isn't your thing, you're not into this. Now I, I see that um, women are saying, well, actually, we have to be able to do this. This is mm -hmm. something that um, not only do we care about and have we cared about, but now it's becoming more and more important for us to understand what we believe and why we believe it for ourselves in a society that's growing more hostile towards faith, but also for the people that we care about and love. Yeah. I mean, this really impacts the way that we wife, the way we mother, the way that we um, are neighbors, right? Like what we believe is going to be expressed to the people around us. Um, and I love how you're pointing out that more and more this is being questioned, this is being pushed back. And I know a lot of times, even in my own life, um, that there's just kind of, I don't know how to answer this, right? Um, like, I don't know how to um, speak kindly, you know, and like firmly, but then at the same time, not feel like I'm 
misleading somebody, you know, or um, that I'm saying the wrong thing. And I think a lot of times that I can just get crippled in this fear of like, what if I say the wrong thing? Well, what if I'm not doing it right? You know? Um, And so how would you kind of coach women even just to start this conversation or just start like looking into um, knowing their Bibles, knowing what they believe, actually owning what they believe? Yeah, that's one of the things that I've said in the past is that, you know, um, I wish I was more of a disciplined disciple and that, you know, I go after it on my own just for my own (laughs) um, education. But sometimes what it takes, and and so here is where I want to encourage women, sometimes what it takes is actually getting those conversations where they're scary, where you don't know what you're going to say or where somebody disagrees with you adamantly that sort of guides you into what it is that you need to study, what you're lacking in. It, sh- it, so it shows you where you have deficiencies. Instead of seeing that as intimidating, um, you can see it as an opportunity to grow and learn. Oh, okay, this is what needs you know fixed. It's kind of like when you go to the doctor, you know, they point out all the things you need to work on. Um, <laughs> I don't like going to the doctor, but <laughs> yeah. you know, he does show me this is where you have some deficiencies and you need to work on those things. So I think getting involved, like, what are the questions your kids have? What is the question your spouse has, you know, or the person at work who doesn't believe like you do? What's their question? And then that will help guide you into um, what area you need to study in. Because, you know, apologetics, theology, these are, these are broad umbrellas, Mm -hmm. and they encompass Mm -hmm. a lot of study. So, I would also say don't feel like you ever have to know everything in order to talk to people. That's just wrong. Um, The only one who knows everything is God. So you can free yourself up from that. Um, People who act like they know everything, that's a personality flaw. So just, Mm -hmm. you know, count that as a personality flaw on their part. Um, And then just really get into what excites you. So are you interested in the relationship of religion and science? Um, There's a lot of material written on that. Are you interested in the area of, um, you know, how, how do we know God exists? lots of material on that. Are you interested in, in pursuing, well, how could God be good if there's evil in the world? That's called the problem of evil. And, and we've been writing on that for so long. That's actually been thousands of years of writing. Mm-hmm. So um, just find, I would say find what what is the question that you're trying to handle and that will guide you into where you need to study, both in the scriptures, in philosophy, and how those come together. Uh, don't be intimidated by it. Be more of like, Uh, an investigator uh, who's starting out on a journey of investigation. I think that's really good um, because I think a lot of times it seems so daunting and then we just don't start, you know, like it's so much or there's no way I can know all the things um, or this question leads to five other questions. And so I'm just not going to do any of it, you know, and so I love that you're encouraging us just to take one question and go find the answer, you know, and seek it out and not even just like the pat cliche Christian answer either. You know, I think um, (laughs) we need to do a little bit more of the heavy lifting and the heavier work of like really digging in to understand why do I have this question? Why is humanity asking this question? And then how does God answer that in his big and abundant self that he does? Um, it's usually not a very pat, clean answer. So um, so that kind of brings me to your new book, because obviously we're talking about seeking out answers and, um, you know, what what 
ways God answers some of our biggest, deepest questions. And so you have a new book coming out called Why I Still Believe, A Former Atheist's Reckoning with the Bad Reputations Christians Give and a Good God. All right. That's a, that's a mouthful right there. Um, I think we're just going to stick with why I still believe. Yeah. Um, so talk to me a little bit about where did this book come from? Obviously, it's your story. Um, and then maybe even if you're willing, uh, peek us in a little bit and give us like, maybe one or two nuggets of just some of the like big truths that you have presented in the book. Yeah. Okay. So what led me to write this book is <laughs> I was asked to. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of the story of my life. Like people ask me to write something. I'm like, okay. Um, so yeah, I was approached by an editor who was looking for somebody to do a sort of narrative style apologetics book. And, uh, yeah, I, at first when I was approached, I, you know, I'll say I didn't want to do a narrative style apologetics book because it's personal. And mm -hmm. when I heard him describe what he was looking for, I said, wow, that's, that, that lets people into my life, which opens me up to a lot of criticism and scrutiny. And, uh, and uh, you know, you, you can't control, once you open yourself up like that, you can't control the narrative about you. It's out in public and people can yeah. say whatever they want to say about you. And uh, especially if you get very personal with things. So I told him, you know, like, I don't want to. And then as I thought about it, and I thought about, well, what am I dealing with in the church? What is my story? And I realized I had dealt with a lot of hypocrisy and judgmentalism in the church. And um, that was one of the number one objections I kept coming up against when I talked to people about coming to church. They say, yeah, well, I don't want to go to church. It's full of hypocrites. So I started seeing how my story of um, how I started to learn the arguments for God's existence and for the evidence of the resurrection and, and all of these arguments that sit within the field of apologetics, how it actually had helped me come to a point that even though I experienced a lot of hypocrisy and judgmentalism in the church, among other things, pride, selfishness, whatever you want to throw in there, um, it didn't negate the, the truth of the Christian faith. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that would probably be something that's helpful to people, even if I am opening myself up, you know, um, to attack or to criticism. I think that that project is worth doing, and especially in light of um, the high-profile deconversion stories where uh, these these leaders in the faith begin to what's called deconstruct their faith, so pick it apart, and then they end up losing their faith. I have the opposite, where I picked apart my faith, but I ended up hitting a brick wall that is the truth of God, the truth mm -hmm. of God's existence and the truth of Jesus as resurrected from the dead. So um, I thought that would be valuable to share. Okay, then you asked me another question, and I've forgotten what it was. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how you got to writing it. So tell us a little bit about what is in the book. Um, and maybe I love how you're even sharing just how vulnerable it is to put your story out there. Um, and to where I think many would be like, oh, this is so great. You know, even just reading the the catchphrase of it, you know, an atheist conversion, you know, it seems so shiny um, and good, but there's a lot of struggle and vulnerability and rawness in that. And so um, maybe talk to us a little bit about what was the hardest thing um, that is in the book that you had to put in there um, and maybe even shocking, like you didn't know <laughs> until you were putting it down on paper. Um, and that's a pretty vulnerable question that I'm just throwing at you. So I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah. tell us a little bit about just what is in it and how is it challenging us? Okay, so um, there's a couple of things that we're going to cover here. <laughs> okay. Um, the first one, let, let's do the, the hardest thing. Um, the thing that was made me feel vulnerable 
And that's later on in the book, you, you build up to it. So you, at the beginning of the book, you start getting the stories. Um, and by the way, we put in there like some of the picking stories was very difficult because we had some ones that were so bad that we think that it wouldn't be productive to include in the in the book. Mm -hmm. So I tried to use ones that I could frame them around um, the apologetics arguments and, and things that wouldn't so turn people off that they would just be like, yeah, right, look at the judgmentalism of these church people. I didn't want everybody like pointing fingers. So it was hard to choose the stories and it was also hard because I know that even though I tried to cover you know, some of the places and people and time, people, some people are going to figure it out. And uh, mm -hmm. so I knew that there's going to be some hurt there. But really what was hardest for me to admit was as you get along in the book, there's a, there's a scene where Roger and I are discussing, uh, we're traveling along the coastline, the West Coast, and we're talking about um, some past experience that I had. And I come right out and say, you know, sometimes I just, I just, I'm so angry. I just hate, I hate that the church takes away things that I love. I hate, you know, the judgmentalism. And I just, it, it's a really raw moment where I'm just so upset with everything that's gone on that I actually use the word hate. And at that point, Roger, I mean, I think out of all the things we've argued about in our lives and through the ministry, that, that just that idea that I would be so angry with the bride of Christ that I could use such a derogatory term was really hard for mm -hmm. me to write, but I, it comes from a place of that rawness, that realness that I was struggling with trying to be in community with the church. I wanted to be in community with people who were seeking, you know, an authentic relationship with the Lord and with each other. And I kept coming against uh, pretense. I kept coming against pride. I kept coming against selfishness and controlling natures. And so it was, it, it was building up this angst in me to the point of which, you know, I was just ready to explode. Because um, I really was heartbroken at what I knew could be, <laughs> mm -hmm. but wasn't going to be in a fallen world. Like, mm -hmm. so there, that was the hardest thing for me to write. Um, what will people encounter in the book other than the storyline like that? Uh, there are some really important points, I think, in the book about why I didn't go back to atheism. And I think one of the things people need to consider when they're angry with the church, when they're angry with what's going on, when they've been extremely hurt by the church, is we have to consider if I leave Christianity, not just the church, but if I leave belief in God, I leave belief in Jesus as the risen Savior, what am I going to? So what am I adopting? Because you're not just leaving Christianity, you would be adopting a different point of view. Right. And that I deal with that in the book in two, two big ways for me, which is, trying to understand where good and evil come from. So in the philosophical term, that's grounding the concepts of good and evil. And a lot of people argue that there's too much evil in the world for us to believe in a good God, but they don't tell you how they know what evil is or how they know what good is. Mm -hmm. And so for me, in short form, I couldn't get past that I needed God as the standard of goodness by which I'm comparing other things. And that was, a, that was one of the points where I was like, wow, I, I really can't just step away from this belief. Uh, and then it gets, there's, a, there's a, another argument which gets a little philosophical, but I try to keep it at a lay level, which is that I couldn't even, I couldn't even gr trust, I couldn't even trust my own reasoning abilities in atheism. Because mm -hmm. in an atheistic worldview, we've gotten to this point through blind uh, 
through blind impersonal processes of natural selection. So there was no, no rationality got us to the point where we have rationality. It was, we got to our rationality through chance, through, you know, these random mutations. So in short form again, if that's how I got my thinking skills, I don't know if I can trust them. And that was huge for me as well as uh, I need a way to ground that uh, my thinking ability can actually lead me to know truth or to know falsity. And it's not just part of a survival mechanism that could give me truth or falsity, but it's just all about survival, not about truth or falsity. So I, I was really, really digging into that and saying, you know, here again, I, I think rationality comes from rationality and intelligence comes from intelligence, not from chance, not from random mutations in accordance with environmental factors that have no, no um, personhood behind them or no intelligence mm -hmm. behind them. Mm -hmm. So those were some of the hard issues that I was dealing with that, got, that they'll ex encounter in the book. Okay. Well that's really intriguing. Like it makes me want, okay, well, I got to get this book. Like I've got to be able to <laughs> like, and how did you wrestle through a lot of that? You know? And I think what's really interesting is that you're taking something that I think everybody, uh, well, I guess I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot, um, have experienced hurt, church hurt. And that drove such a, like, not a spiral, but just an ongoing conversation and tension of where is God in this, you know? Um, and so, although there may not be this kind of tension of like reason and all of those things that you're kind of trying to unpack at my very lay level, um, <laughs> I think it, it all roots back to something that is very familiar that I think we all kind of have experienced in some form and fashion. And so I think it's really, um, gracious of God, right? That in the very simple and then the complexity of life um, and thought and all of those things that he is sweetly coming in and showing us like that he is good, you know, and that all of the, I don't know, the questioning and the tension and the wrestling that we feel, um, how he shows himself in that. And I think that that is something that we all need and that we all need to remember and to be able to like help push that and allow that for others to be seen. Right. Um, so I'm kind of curious and how, like, how do we get the book and it hasn't even released yet. I think you're about to do pre-orders. So can you tell us a little bit about what that timeline looks like? When can they pre-order? Where do they get this book at? Um, tell us a little bit about how they can connect with you and connect with the book. Uh, so connecting with me, um, I have a website, which is confidentchristianity.com. So they can go there and start digging around through some of my articles. Uh, they can also order the book there if they click on the Why I Still Believe tab. But also, um, you know, you can go to Amazon and pre-order it. If you pre-order, that means so if this is before uh, November 3rd, because the book releases November 5th, if you pre-order, there are some bonus videos. There's two bon bonus videos and discussion guides that go with it that you'll get. Um, but yeah, after, after the 5th, you can order it as well. Just won't get those pre-order goodies. Um, yeah, so you can go to Amazon. You can go to christianbook.com. You can go to Barnes & Noble. Uh, there, there's many outlets that are better, uh, that have the book available. But yeah, so anyway, those, that's how you can connect with me and grab that book. Okay, and then let me ask you this. What is your biggest hope with this book? I know that's kind of a big question to you, but like, what are you hoping happens with this book? Oh, so yeah. I'm hoping that people, I mean, in a nutshell, that the the hypocrisy of Christians 
doesn't negate or eradicate the truth of Christianity, that people will start to see that, that people can act in opposition to something that they profess is true. And that I'm hoping, uh, there's like sort of two things here. I'm hoping that some people experience some healing in that they start to understand that, oh yeah, I do live in a fallen world and everybody around me is going to fail me, including Mm -hmm. the people in the church. They're just regular people. You know, they're just regular people. And that was one of the things I had to, I was putting, building them up like they should be better. They should be the people who are seeking God and are awesome and they're going to mentor me and show me the way. And, and then I started to realize, oh, these are people. And they have all the problems of all the other people. They didn't get like superhuman powers when they, you know, yeah. of, of righteousness when they stepped into a church or when they accepted Jesus. So they're struggling through a lot of the same issues that I am. Um, and so I hope there's some healing because you throughout the book you'll see me lash out, but then you'll see me understand that I'm being, you know, my own problems. You'll see me working through my own problems. Um, so I hope they'll see that. And then I hope the other thing is that people start to understand. Uh, what the atheist worldview actually entails. So if you're leaving Christianity, if you're saying, I'm going to leave all this behind, really, that's that's why I did that section, you know, on really working through what is an atheist view and what do you leave behind? Like, um, it's really important to consider that because there's so much that we take for granted in our lives that have been built upon a Christian philosophical framework that we don't even know that we're using like the concepts of goodness and evil and justice and injustice and you know all there's all sorts of things we're we're using from the christian philosophical framework whether or not we acknowledge that and so i really hope people will consider if they are on that line of i'm sick of this and i want to walk away that they consider more fully what they're walking away to and Mm -hmm. that's that's one thing i haven't seen a lot of in the high profile deconversion stories out there is they're talking about what they're leaving. They're not talking about really looking at what they're going to. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I would like for people to really consider, you know, a, a, a true, what does it truly mean to be atheist? And what does that worldview look like? And is that something that you believe, uh, mm-hmm. wholeheartedly believe and embrace? And so those are the, the two like projects I hope that will come of this book. And, and I hope that they'll see that, the book is not pre- preachy. I'm not trying to preach at people. <laughs> it's, yeah. I tried to be invitational and just let you see through my own journey. Um, I even have a, a, a chapter called No Tidy Endings because I'm not going to wrap it up for people because life doesn't just, hey, get this argument and then you're good or, you know, yeah. just accept Jesus and then you're good. It doesn't wrap up like that. It's so messy in a fallen world. And so I'm hoping people will see that uh, as well. I have never known you to be preachy, Um, (laughs) but I will say um, that I have known you to be incredibly authentic and real. Um, And so I think that's why in asking you, what is your hope? um, You know, I think it's easy for us to kind of maybe look at the cover and say, oh, this is for my atheist friend, you know, so let me get this and then I'm going to pass it on. And I think I'm really challenging everyone. Like there is truth for this in everybody, whether you're a believer and in the church or um, you're questioning, you know, and, and maybe you're an atheist. 
Um, I think that there is some goodness for us, especially those of us in ministry. You know, this podcast is for women leaders, and so many of us are doing ministry on all different kinds of avenues. And so the very things that I think you walk through in your story are things that people are walking through right now in our pews and in our in our churches and in our neighborhoods. And so um, what I love about God is His meta-narrative, like reaching into our narratives. And so um, the fact that you say it's scary to put your story out there, um, just the pieces of your story that I know and just getting to watch God use you and grow you um, and take your story to places that are being used for his glory are really encouraging to me. And so I would really encourage everyone to make sure that you pre-order your copy and to grab one for a friend and and maybe go through it together and, and chat through some of these things that Mary Jo was talking about. So I want to wrap up real quickly with just kind of asking you, you know, God has done so much in your life story already from band director to (laughs) apologist um, and getting to write studies and, um, you know, speak around the world literally with some of the most profound minds on the planet. Um, But specifically for you as a woman in leadership, I'm just curious, what are like maybe two nuggets of just truth for other women in leadership? And as they're living out this call on their life, um, what would you maybe encourage them with? Uh, I would definitely encourage them to um, be studying the reasons for their belief in God. Uh, make sure you, that you are you're actively seeking to understand your own faith, because what I think one of the things that I'm seeing with um, leaders who fall is uh, there's some. In some sense, I don't want to broad brush everybody, but in some sense, there seems to be this lack of a depth of not only knowledge of God, but being able to have, or, but also relationship with God. So like in concert, so studying our reasons for why we believe, but also making sure that we are actively and intentionally seeking to spend time with the person that we're learning about. Because I, I think leaders can get, well, we, I mean, there's so much material out there about leaders getting burned out and, you know, leaders just thrown in the towel. And it's like, make sure that you are actually growing your relationship with Jesus, uh, not in words only, not because of your kids, not because of your husband, but because you need it in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to allow God to minister to you. So I would say um, study the reasons for your beliefs, spend time alone with God, and then I would actually encourage leaders to look at an atheist worldview and to do that in some depth. And I, you know, my, my book can get you started. I tried not to go too far into it, but it can get you started because I think once you see what the alternative is, um, I think you understand, with, you become a little bit more confident in what it is that you believe. And, mm-hmm. and in what you're saying and professing to others. So those, those are the kind of nuggets I would pass on is like study and then make sure that you're transferring that study into relationship with our Lord and Savior. I love it. Well, Mary Jo, thank you so much, not only for um, just sharing so much of your wisdom, but also sharing your story um, and encouraging us. I just really appreciate your time, and we are cheering you on as you launch this new big piece of your soul out into the world. (laughs) Um, And so we will be praying for you and cheering you on, Um, and I will make sure to have links to Confident Christianity and for the pre-order. That way you can connect with Mary Jo maybe a little bit further and follow her as her story goes on and as she continues on in ministry. So thank you again, Mary Jo, for spending time with us today at the table. Thank you, Jackie. It's good to catch up. Y'all have a great week.
You have been listening to At The Table, the podcast for the SBC Women's Leadership Network. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes and share this with your friends and other women in the SBC. They'd also love to connect online with you at sbcwomen.net for more resources and for you to join the conversation with women all across the globe who are serving in Kingdom Mission. Thanks for listening.